Those of you who are here last Sunday, um, Don spoke on developing the posture of humility and uh, they asked me to speak this Sunday and they were so excited that they would have, you know, someone of my intellect and caliber up here speaking that they put my name on the backdrop. Yeah. Actually, as many of you know, we are working through the um, book of James, and today we are actually going to be talking about arrogance. And James gives us a warning against it. The definition of arrogance, if you look it up in the dictionary, says arrogance is having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. And I can see all of your faces this morning, and you're looking good. I can see all your faces, but I can't see my own. And that is how it is with arrogance. We can see the arrogance of others, but we can't see our own. And in our culture... There's a certain level of arrogance that is acceptable. There's no stigma against it. In fact, there's a fierce independence that is actually celebrated. You know, just as long as it doesn't cross the line into being obnoxious or presumptuous behavior or have you actually asserting yourself above the law or what is acceptable morality. And so living in this culture where that type of arrogance is acceptable, so often our own arrogance will go undetected. It will remain something that is hidden from us unless it is confronted with and exposed by the ultimate reality in which we live. It's almost like it has to be taken out of this world in which we live and how people think and the values and priorities that we have and taken out of that and exposed into the light of ultimate reality, which is not this universe or the cosmos or some force, but as a divine being called God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says we actually live in His presence. That one day every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Every word we've spoken, every deed we've done. And so only if brought into the light of this reality will the arrogance that James is talking about actually be exposed. And that's essentially what he does this morning in this text that we're going to look at. James 4, verses 13 to 17. And really, he's only doing three things. He starts by exposing or, or, or referring to this cultural ex, uh, arrogance that is accepted, that seems acceptable. Then he brings that and he exposes it and confronts it with reality. And then he challenges us, how then do we live? It's essentially what we'll be looking at this morning. 
So let's start. James chapter 4. And verse 13. And he's essentially in this verse, he's repeating the often spoken sentiment of this culturally accepted arrogance. And it's not just that we say it, but remember the words of Jesus? Out of the overflow of one's heart or one's attitude, we speak. That determines our behaviors. That determines our words. So he says, it's not just that you say this. It's what it is saying about your attitude. And he says this. He says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and we'll make money. It doesn't sound like arrogance. It's actually cultural acceptable, culturally accepted. And he's actually referring to many of the Jewish believers were Jewish merchants, and they would travel. For, they would literally travel from city to city, and they would sell their merchandise here and there. And their goal was obviously to make a profit. It's called the free market enterprise. That is the culture in which we live. And over the last two or three centuries of our history in Canada and in North America, this free market economy has shaped so much of how we think. And it's based on the political philosophy of individualism. And the belief that each individual has the right to peacefully live for themselves and those they care about. It's a good thing. And that every individual has the latitude and the freedom to determine their own fate. And that rather than being locked into socioeconomic class by birth, there is greater freedom to pursue an education, select a profession or occupation or line of work, to decide on trying to be a successful entrepreneur or to save income and start a business by yourself or with a partner and compete against others. It's called the free market economy. We're free to sell our goods and services and markets of our choice. Free to buy the goods and services that best fill our needs and wants. We're free to seek any job for which we're qualified. And so much of North American culture, so much of our own culture that we experience regularly, every day, it bombards us, is shaped by this dynamic. This motive of self-interest and all of its benefits that we experience, it conditions us. And if we're not careful, it will produce within us a posture, not of humility, but a posture of arrogance. An exaggerated understanding of our own abilities and our own importance and the importance of our own aspirations and our own individual dreams. And our right to determine our own fate. 
So you take the arrogance that James is going to talk about and you place it in this reality. It does not seem like arrogance. It seems like common sense. It seems like good planning. It seems like wisdom. And so perhaps as we live in this culture, we see arrogance in others, but we cannot see our own. And now James takes this culturally accepted arrogance or fierce independence or individualism and he takes it now and he exposes it to the light of reality. And he says, verse 14, Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. That's reality. You actually don't even know what will happen tomorrow, let alone next year. You don't know what you'll be doing tomorrow, if you'll be doing actually what you determined today that you're going to be doing tomorrow. You don't know. Those who are in the emergency room this morning laying on a bed, I'm sure they didn't have that in their calendar yesterday. He says, you've got to think of reality. You know, we take out a mortgage and buy a house, and the next month the interest rates start climbing. And we purchase a new vehicle, convinced we'll get the raise. And the promotion in it actually is given to somebody else. Or we buy the tickets to this warm vacation, which I would love to do right now. And we're all excited to go, but a family member becomes deathly ill, and we're stuck in Saskatoon. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I actually can't make that statement. Because I don't know. And then he keeps going. He says, what is your life? Have you stopped to think about what your life is like? He says, what's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. So we can set our clocks to the sun. In fact, we can tell the time that way. Time passes according to the sun, but not so with a mist. It's here one moment and the the next it's gone. One day it lasts this long. Next day, by mid-morning, it disappears. It's completely unpredictable. And it never lasts very long. It's here for such a short time. And you can experience a mist. You can walk within the midst of it and it it affects you. You can kind of sense it's there and you can kind of be within it, but you cannot grasp it. You can't take a hold of it. You can't secure it. 
It just keeps slipping through your hands. And yet in our culture, we do try so hard to somehow bring some security to my life. Have this sense that I'm in control. But life just keeps slipping through our hands. You can't grab a hold of it. It's not yours. You didn't take it to begin with, then you can't decide when it leaves. And James says, that's reality. We don't often like to spend a lot of time thinking about those things. And as human beings, we seem to have this this endless capacity to distract ourselves and to create diversions and to and to be entertained and not actually think and deeply examine the reality in which we live and how we should live within it and it's like on this short little time we have on the stage of life we're just running and we're so preoccupied and we're so busy and we're just running from one thing to the next and we never stop to think Oh man, I'm on this stage for such a short amount of time. What really is the nature of my life? So how many young people do we have here this morning? Yeah, there's some gray hairs over there raising your hand. You know, you actually don't know your age. We don't really count our age by how long we live, but how many days we have left. You know, if you're fairly average, you can live to 70. If you're strong, you know, to 80. If you're really strong and you got really good genetics, maybe you'll make it to 90. But maybe not. I don't know. I might, I'm 48 now, but I actually might be 80. I don't know how many more days I have left. So we have to understand that deflecting all praise and disregarding all compliments is not humility. Considering yourself powerless and weak is not humility. Refusing to appreciate and acknowledge that you really are good at something is not humility. Feelings of inferiority or a somber, downcast, non-assertive spirit is not humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself or even thinking of yourself less. It is seeing yourself rightly. It's a state of being, the attitude that results from an understanding of who I actually am and how it is that I have been designed, how I've been made and who it is that has made me. That's humility. 
Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So James says, this is now what we ought to do. He says, instead, right, instead of saying today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, do business, make a profit, he says, instead, you ought to say, based on reality, if it is the Lord's will, we will live, we'll do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So what is the one good thing that we know we ought to do? He's just told us the best thing you can possibly do. The actually the only right thing you can do in light of reality is submit to the will of God. Yes, I cannot tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, but my God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't control time, but my God does control time. I cannot guarantee I'll be somewhere tomorrow, but God is everywhere at once. It's the best possible thing you can do in light of reality. Submit to the will of God. Submit to the will of God who, as Psalm 33 says, who spoke and the heavens were created, who breathed the word and all the stars were born, who assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. To submit to the will of God who looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race observing all who live on the earth who made our hearts and understands everything we do. But our culture has been so shaped by the belief that an individual can live independently from God, that we have the latitude and the freedom to determine our own fate, and it makes perfect sense until you put it in the light of the reality of who God is. And we live in this culture. Pursues in the, you know, where, where we pursue an education, we select a profession or occupation or line of work, we decide on trying to be a successful entrepreneur, to save money, start a business, or whatever it might be. And this so easily conditioned us towards an exaggerated sense of how central and how important are my own dreams, my own aspirations, my own individual needs and desires. And the truth at times can break through because we create these little alternate realities. At least I know that I do. These ways of thinking that I get locked to in my mind. This little alternate reality in which I'm living. 
And I kind of create my own gods within that reality. Those things that I'm pursuing, those things that take all my time, those those things that dominate my thinking, that have me running and scurrying and hurrying and living outside of the way I've been designed. And so I feel anxiety and stress and and mental illness and all these other things because I'm living against the way in which my God made me because I'm chasing things other than Him. Maybe I'm trying to find comfort. Maybe I'm trying to find significance in the eyes of people, admiration and recognition and success. Or I'm trying to control my environment so somehow I can feel that everything's going to be okay. And every, every now and then, some, can, some reality can kind of break through. And a funeral is like that. It's like this little gap in time where people might start to actually question and ask life's big questions. But if you're like me, I can justify my so-called selfish ambitions and the plans that I have and the things that I'm chasing because I compare myself to others and I think about all the evil that I'm not doing. Well, I'm not living like that. I'm not, I'm not com- committing these, these evils. I'm obeying the law. Yet I'm not doing the one thing. The one thing that only makes sense within the reality in which we live and the God who so dearly loves us and the God who sent His only Son into this world to die for our sin, to free us from shame and guilt and give us life that's truly life and to draw us to Himself and that is to fully submit everything to Him. To lay everything at His feet. That's the one thing that humility does. When you see rightly who you are in light of who God is, anything else is arrogance. How can I say I can live independently of God? We submit everything to the will of the God, of God who knows when we sit down or when we stand up, who knows our thoughts even before we think them, who knows what we're going to say even before we say it, who sees us when we travel or rest at home, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, who knows what we're going to say even before we say it. Who has every day of our lives recorded in His book. Every day. Every moment laid out before a single day has passed. So refusing to submit everything to this God, planning our lives in arrogant dependence of Him, James says, is not just unfortunate. He says it's evil. It's not just kind of too bad. He actually says it's evil. That I would live as if this God does not exist. 
that I would maybe patronize him on certain days or in certain ways, but I will not submit my life to him. We want to learn together how to do this. How do we live in submission to God? What does that look like? How does it need to change the way that we live so that we begin to live differently than everybody else does? That we actually have a different way of life. And Maureen mentioned the prayer summit that we have next Sunday. 7 o'clock in the lounge. And as we were planning, we were just sensing together that God is asking us to step into this new year, this new decade, with a posture of humility. And we want to spend time worshiping Him. Again, just claiming the greatness of God and who He is. Declaring His greatness as we step into this new year. Then we want to spend time in prayer just asking, God, would you teach us how to obey? Teach us how to do that. Teach us how to hear your voice. Bring renewal to our hearts and to our minds. Really encourage you to come. One of the ways that arrogance presents itself that we don't see clearly is a life of weariness, a life that is driven, a life that is far too busy because we're trying to live beyond the means, the ways in which God has called us to live. So I want to encourage you this morning. Are you fully submitted to God? Maybe you're tired and you're weary and you're battling discouragement or despair or hopelessness. Maybe you come here and you're so concerned for your children or you're so so concerned that you'll be able to provide for your family or for your physical health or mental health and you're carrying this and you need to lay it down. You need, to, you need to submit it to Him. Say, God, I just entrust this to You. I'm sorry that I have tried to carry this on my own. Or maybe you're battling anxiety about the future. Trying to navigate this on your own. Or maybe you're just running and running and you're not true to God's design. You have no margins in your life. And you need to submit everything to Him. So we want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. Just a moment, the worship team is going to come up. We're going to be singing a song and Bruce is going to lead us in prayer and an offering, and then we're going to have three more songs. Now, I would just encourage you that during this first song that you just ask God, God, is there any way 
Is there anything in my life that you're asking me just to lay down at your feet? To finally just release and to let go and entrust to you. To submit into your hands. Sometimes God prompts us so, so gently that we, some, we don't always take it seriously and realize just maybe how it does grieve the heart of God when we do not submit and obey. And so how I want to encourage you is the last three songs, if there's something you know God is Encouraging you to do some way he wants you to trust, some way he wants you to submit. You just come up, we have pieces of paper on two tables up here and pens, also on the top in the balcony. There's baskets, and if there's something, maybe you're just writing down, you need to write down work, or you need to write down future, or you need to write down whatever it is. It's a tangible way as we step into a new year. Say, God, I just finally want to lay this down. It's actually the very best thing I can do in light of reality is to submit to you. So we'd encourage you to do that.